Is Donald Trump the worst president in history? Is Rand Paul or Donald Trump right? And is socialism the answer to our economy's problems? I'm Josiah Evertson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Aren't you tired of feeling forced to choose between staying informed and being indoctrinated? Listen to the condensed news cycle without the lies, agendas, and confusion from the mainstream media, all while engaging in deeper discussions about the principles that have influenced our great nation. This is what rescuing America looks like. This is The Glorious Rescue. Merry Christmas. It is another Friday, another episode of The Glorious Rescue, but today is a special day. It is obviously Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Christ and His coming to this earth. So a very Merry Christmas to all of you as listeners. And again, to all of you listening, just very Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for tuning in on your Christmas, spending your Christmas, or maybe it's a day or two, or even a little bit later after. Uh, So whatever day you're listening in on for this episode, just thank you so much for listening and sharing this Christmas season with me and with all of us listeners here on the show. If you are listening over and watching over here on the YouTube channel, you can already tell this, so I'm going to give a brief caveat and get this out of the way before moving into the remainder of the show, and that is obviously if you're watching on the YouTube channel, there is no video today, and that means that as this video ends, it's going to be about a minute, two minutes, three minutes in, just head on over to that audio platform and skip to that amount in. We're just running into a little bit of equipment issues and all that, but by the time this this episode airs, it will already be solved. So again, as this YouTube video ends at, let's say, 2 minutes and 30 seconds or whatnot, head on over to the audio platforms. Link is in the description, and skip on up to 2 minutes and 30 seconds if it is 2 minutes and 30 seconds long. So again... Thank you so much for your patience. With all of that, we're going to move right on into this episode, and thank you so much for listening if you are over on the YouTube channel. As we move in today, we're going to move into the very first story, and that is, again, is Donald Trump the worst president in history? I ask this, obviously, facetiously, because I do not believe so whatsoever. I think Donald Trump had a very strong presidency. His administration has done many, many things well. And we're going to talk about that very briefly. We just have a few brief stories, and then we have an exciting end of show segment, as always, that I am extraordinarily pumped to get into. So make sure to stay tuned. Make sure to be ready and buckle on up. So this is what I'm referring to, and that is a recent Fox News poll that showed that 42% of Americans believe Donald Trump to be among the worst presidents in our nation's history. This could sound quite scary, or this could sound concerning or surprising to you. It shouldn't, and I will explain why. And that is because the vast majority of people who do not believe or side with Trump believe he's an awful person. The character of Donald Trump, the person of Donald Trump, is a very polarizing person. Very few people sit like where I would sit, where I think that he's a good president. I think he has done many, many extraordinary things. And I would also say that there are some certain policies or things that I disagree with him on, and I don't really like his character. I kind of think that that is a little bit more of a common, or at least it should be a common perception or opinion on Donald Trump, right? That we believe, maybe you believe in a lot of his policies like I do, uh, and I'm a firm believer in a lot of his policies. And I think that the vast majority of his presidency has been outstanding and substantially good for America, for America on the foreign scale and on the domestic scale, right? So, but in the same time, you could also say, well, I think he also lacks a lot of tact, But I also think it was good that he did overturn a lot of media trust in regards to people's trust in the media, I should say. A lot of people saw that the media really are biased and all that because of Donald Trump. So so back and forth, right? A lot of good, a lot of good, but willing to admit the bad. Then you have some people who are unwilling to admit the wrong. And then you have people who can't really 
say that he's a person. <laughs> they don't want to admit that he's a good person, right? If, uh, I've heard the example that if Donald Trump held up a puppy and posted on Twitter and said, love this dog, that everyone would get in an uproar because Donald Trump wants to start uh, a, a complete genocide of, well, I don't know if genocide is the right word of cats, but just wants to go and slaughter all the cats because he's holding up a picture of a dog. You have those types of people. And so not willing to admit who he is or that he's a good person at all or that he has anything good to say. And so you have people falling into these these camps, these different camps, and the vast majority of people who voted against him believe it's because he's the worst thing in American history. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that more people dislike him than dislike conservatives throughout American history, but it just means that the people who dislike conservatives in general dislike them a lot more. I hope that makes sense. Because, of course, we know that Donald Trump does not fall into, well, let me just put it this way. Most presidents that fall in the, into that worst presidents or some of the worst presidents category were not presidents who lowered tax cuts extraordinarily and unleashed the American economy, lowered unemployment rate across all gaps, across all ethnic groups, black, Hispanic, and then just in general. It's not necessarily a president or a presidency in an administration that is noted for having huge peace deals and monumental and unprecedented peace deals in the Middle East. It's not normally a good metric to say that presidents and administrations that have pushed through a record vaccine and battled unprecedented media attacks and whatnot is one of the worst presidents in history. Normally, those are not indicators of one of the worst presidents in history. And I can go on. I mean, you got Andrew Johnson. A, the successor to Abraham Lincoln, who so poorly mishandled Reconstruction that it hurt our our entire country for decades and probably still facing some of the ramifications right now because of Andrew Johnson. You got presidents and administrations that are racked with scandals like Clinton's and, and whatnot. You have also not those types of scandals, but then you also have like corruption type scandals. You have Nixon with political scandals. You also have financial scandals and corruption. So you have a huge list, and yet Donald Trump is somehow on that list. It makes no sense. And you know what else makes no sense is Nancy Pelosi. And that's what we're getting into very briefly. It's just Nancy Pelosi flipping back and forth all over the place because that's what Nancy Pelosi does, I guess. This is absolutely hilarious to me. I'm not going to lie. I, I hope this is enjoyable to you because we're going to talk about some of the going back and forth that Nancy Pelosi has. I think this is honestly the Democrat Party in general. We talked about how they have totally flipped back and forth on the Electoral College. Well, this is just another example, and that is COVID relief bills or COVID relief bills or whatnot, and how they've completely flipped Nancy Pelosi specifically. And again, humorous to me, let's enjoy this as we dig right on into this story. And that is Nancy Pelosi. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi being the House Speaker, she described the $600 stimulus checks as, quote, significant. Those were her words. I want to take you back just two years ago when she called Donald Trump's tax cuts pathetic. I don't say that taking her out of context in any way. She literally called them pathetic. Many businesses get, were just giving their employees bonuses of thousands of dollars or a thousand dollar credits just simply because they were, they were under extreme tax cuts. So when asked about it, Pelosi noted that giving out these a thousand dollar checks to companies, or should I say companies to their workers were quote pathetic. She said basically that the tax cuts these companies were getting in comparison to the bonuses that they were giving out to their employees were pathetic because they were giving thousand dollar bonuses. Mind you, I pay taxes. I'm a common American, and my taxes since Trump has been amazing. Doubling the standard deduction, decreasing rates, it's been amazing. 
So we have paid a lot less taxes. On top of that, companies have paid a lot, ta- a lot less taxes. And on top of that, companies are giving their employees more bonuses because they're paying less taxes. Pelosi saying that's pathetic. And then two years later, she turns around and offers a $600 relief checks, stimulus checks, saying that they are significant. I want to remind you that these these Congress people making 174000 a year, it took them eight months, nine months to decide whether or not the uh, the common American was worth 600 bucks. So while they sit in their leather chairs, as AOC says, making one hundred seventy four grand a year doing absolutely nothing, they get to decide and take eight months, nine months to decide whether or not we're worthy of that $600. So there's many different arguments to many different sides, many different sides, I should say, of the whole coronavirus stimulus package. We're going to get into that. But unfortunately, Nancy Pelosi is on virtually all different sides as she goes back and forth. So she came under huge fire specifically by Rand Paul for this. And so when she received fire for these $600 stimulus checks, this bill being absolutely awful, we're going to get into that, being absolutely garbage. And when I say garbage, I mean absolutely awful, awful, awful stuff, not really going to the American people at all. And so if the goal is is to stimulate the economy, is to go to Americans, then the money should go to stimulate the American economy and should go to the Americans. I personally don't necessarily believe in the whole stimulus idea, but I'm going to say that if we are going to have stimulus bills, if we are going to give stimulus checks, let's make them go to the Americans because that's the whole purpose of it, right? So she receives heavy fire, then she turns completely 180 degrees, and she says that the reason that they haven't been able to author a bill yet is because they have people who quote-unquote don't believe in science in Washington, D.C. Speaking of people of faith, people based on religion, she said that these are people who don't believe in science, quote, don't believe in science, and therefore they weren't able to author something differently. So it was the fact that she was agreeing with them. Then Trump comes out and shreds the absolute bill, and then Nancy Pelosi flips back on it and agreeing with Donald Trump. So she goes back and forth, what is that, three different times? It's because people of faith don't believe in science, and we weren't able to author something else. Then Donald Trump comes out and completely rips up and down this bill. He says this bill contains $88.5 million for assistance in Cambodia, $134 million in Burma, $1.3 billion in Egypt and Egyptian military, $25 million in gender programs in Pakistan, $505 million in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, etc. Listen to, to some of these ones. $1 billion for the S- Smithsonian, $154 million for the National Gallery of Art, $7 million for reef fish management. million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of downed trees, and $566 million for construction projects in the FBI. These these, These are statements and figures that Trump gave because he is exactly right when he says these are in the bill that no one will read several hundred pages. Rand Paul making the statement that if you were to read this at the average reader pace, it would take you 77 or 78 hours with no stop to read this bill. It is huge. It is vast. And there is no way anyone's going to read this entire bill. And it contains items like these. $1.4 trillion in spending when it's supposed to be like a $900 billion package. And this $600 stimulus checks only include like 100 not even like maybe a hundred billion of it. If all 300 million Americans right now got a $600 check, which not all of the 300 million American 
residents are going to receive a stimulus check, like I won't receive a stimulus check, if all 300 million received a $600 check, it'd be $180 billion. Now remember, not all 300 million will. So that means the $600 stimulus checks are basically like 100 billion, maybe 200 billion of this $900 billion stimulus package. That's not even including the 1.4 additional trillion dollars of government funding for all kinds of different items. So no, it's an absolutely awful bill. And then after that, Nancy Pelosi flips and says, okay, so then we will increase the amount of dollars, the checks, we will increase the checks for the American people like Trump asked, and then try to take credit for it. So yeah, she's all over the place. And then after that, right after that, she then blames Trump for most of the COVID deaths. So again, she's going all over the place, basically attributing the vast majority of COVID deaths to Donald Trump, saying that all of this could have been avoided. Now it is right that all of this could have been avoided. This is great. Good on you, Nancy Pelosi, a very observable piece of information that this all could have been avoided. The problem is, is that there was such a lack of information that no one really knew what was going on. If the information were there from the Chinese government, if the information were there from what the individuals, the Chinese officials or Chinese citizens were seeing in China while this virus was vastly growing, if that information would have been readily available, we would have been able to avoid it. So yes, put it on Donald Trump. Uh, that makes a lot of sense when it should have been put squarely. That's that's why we're calling it the Chinese virus, really, is because it came from China and because it was so badly mishandled in China that it got all out throughout the world. And yes, I do think China is responsible for the vast majority of the COVID deaths. And that is because of a lack of responsibility, complete mishandling of it. And not like, for instance, on Donald Trump's administration, where it was just simply a lack of information. Well, that's going to wrap up this very first portion of the episode where we talk about those items. Like I mentioned, Donald Trump being the worst president in history. Is he the worst president in history? Is Donald Trump right? Is Rand Paul right? Very quickly, I want to mention that note. Rand Paul's argument is one that I would more likely make the argument. And that is, why is the government just basically pulling money off trees? Do we think money just prints off on trees, which the government, yes, just absolutely prints money to at its own desire and at its own will. But just pulling the money out of the hat to just give to Americans to just throw out there, just keep printing money and run up the deficit with no thought, no wherewithal. And Rand Paul is exactly right. He raked this bill up and down saying that it's completely fraudulent. It's completely wasteful. He's exactly right. And that's the side I would err more on the side of why in the world will we sit here and just be cashing, sending out cash to millions of Americans when instead we could just open up the economy, let everyone go back to work. Right? That would make more sense to actually just open up the economy instead of just pumping out cash that the government doesn't have, running up the deficit when they could just open up the economy because they don't necessarily have the right to close it down. And so with that, we're going to head into an end of show segment of the vast past. Welcome to another segment of the vast past. I'm extremely excited to get into this with all of you. I think it's very useful, very applicable, and hopefully very helpful to you. Whether you're having conversations in the day-to-day -day with some of your coworkers, your friends, I wouldn't recommend your coworkers on the clock. Just a little side note for you, a little tidbit from me. But whoever you're having a discussion with, there are many. these are tips for that. There are tips for whether you're debating someone on social media or it's a little bit more of a, not hostile, but a little bit more of an actual debate format where it's a little bit more public type 
situation. And so hopefully this will help you. I'm not trying to be a little bit proud when I, I'm not trying to be proud at all. I should say when I state this, I'm just trying to give you my credentials so that you do realize that I'm trying to pass on this information to you. I have won multiple debate competitions. I've learned a lot from my debate interactions, whether that be social media, but actual debate competitions I've won. I've also done a lot of research into reading books and listening to content from individuals who are giving information about how to debate and then also watching, I mean, I want to say hundreds of hours of debates. So again, I'm not trying to say so out of a proud heart, but I'm just trying to state my credentials so that you do realize I'm here to try to help you and I'm still learning, obviously. So we are going to get into this. These tidbits are pieces of information that help me as I refresh and kind of go over them. So first and foremost, I think a big thing is terminology. Always ask them to define their terminology because a lot of times they're going to be stating things stating terms that they don't necessarily actually want to define. A big one for me is government, or I should say collective, collective ownership, collective ownership of goods, collective ownership of the means of production. A lot of times they don't even know what they mean by collective. A lot of times they don't even know what they mean by the means of production. Okay, well, do you mean the actual factories? Do you mean the process of labor? Do you mean the workers? Do you mean all these different items? The means of distribution? Do you mean the stores to sell it in? There's all these different items it could mean. So they don't know necessarily what that means. Collective is a big one because what collective means, it doesn't mean collective ownership like the private citizens own all of it. Because if we all own an equal share and none of us can own more than the other, I cannot buy your share out and you can't buy my share out. So we're all entitled to the same amount of ownership, quote unquote, ownership, collective ownership, then we really own nothing because I have no more say than you do. There's no point. I, I don't own the company any more than you do. So no one really owns it. Collective ownership, again, is really just government ownership. So terminology, ask them to define their terminology. That kind of moves me into the next one. And that is asking questions to ask them to define it. You can steer the conversation. What do you mean by that? What does that prove? So for instance, when they talk about collective ownership, a good question to ask is, what does that mean? They start to define it. Well, it actually, wouldn't you say that if everyone owns it, then really no one owns it. It's just government ownership. And then they would agree with that, I would say most of the time. And then you would ask, okay, well, how do we get there? And a lot of times, really what they're saying is government coercion. And that would mean that non-compliance is what? What's the punishment for non-compliance? That's a great question I love to ask. Okay, so that means you want to have everyone equal, equal outcome. How do you, how do you, how do you plan to attain that? Well, government coercion and for the non-compliant, what does that mean? These are good questions to ask. Again, like I said, collective ownership. What do you mean by that? Again, if they try to say, well, this proves this, just ask what, what does, or, or, or they make a random statement. They make a random claim. What does that prove? Rather than trying to debate that first statement, I love to ask them, what, what does that prove? And then when they do that, then I'd rather debate how, a proves B than just A. I don't want to sit here and debate A. I want to ask you what A proves, and then you're going to say A proves B, and I'm going to show you how A does not prove B. So again, these are just basic debate pointers, whether it's a, a, a very cordial conversation. This is asking questions is a great way if it's a non-hostile or it's a hostile conversation. If this is your coworker or your family member asking these polite questions oh, okay, I understand and you're empathizing and you're listening, but then you're asking, so what do you mean by collective? I'm trying to understand. I'm curious. Um, a good one that they always ask is, don't you think it's a basic human right for everyone? And I would say, don't let them demonize you. I would say, well, do you believe it is the right of the government to redistribute wealth, to take from one and give to another? And so just ask them that back, right? These are ways to 
uh, to engage in a cordial conversation, but then also a hostile conversation. I don't mean this rudely whatsoever, but if it's a hostile conversation, you have a situation where maybe it's a social media platform or maybe it's someone who's kind of out in public trying to just humiliate you or expose you, quote unquote, expose you. This is, to put it politely, I don't mean this like in a proud way or for your own glory, but it's kind of then your duty to humiliate them. And I don't mean humiliate them like rudely, impolitely. I don't mean that whatsoever. What I mean is by humiliate them is just embarrass them with the information, with your debate tactics, and with actual substantive evidence to portray their opinion so illogical and to so logically portray your opinion that everyone else around sees that. So if you're having a nice, engaging conversation and cordial, your goal is to help that person and them to help you, right? It's to, that exchange of ideas to benefit from each other's conversation. Well, if it's a hostile conversation and it really if no one's watching or it's not public, there's no point in engaging in the conversation. It doesn't matter. Just walk away, right? It doesn't really matter. You're not going to help them. But if it is public, then you ought not walk away because then you are you are a representative of, and it is a moral issue. Capitalism and socialism, socialism is a moral issue. And so you are a representative of that moral discussion. And so just walking away leaves it open. And so your goal then, if it's a hostile conversation that you are not going to benefit from their conversation and they are not going to benefit from your conversation, the goal is to make those around and those watching the spectators benefit from the conversation. And the way to do so is just so logically portray your side that they realize it those surrounding realize it and that the the person you are arguing with has nothing really left to say. So that's kind of what I'm trying to say. So questions, it is used for both. Again, asking them to define, asking them how it proves, asking them, what do you mean by that? How will this be attained? Because that is a moral issue. So there is the moral issue. There are two really discussions in regards to socialism and capitalism. There's first the moral issue. So what does that mean? Forced? Are you forcing labor? Is it right for me to not have the ability to work and to amass my own wealth, to enjoy the fruits of my labor, to maybe start my own company, free enterprise? That's a moral issue. Does the government have the moral right or does the collective, the group, uh, uh, the mob rule, the majority have the right to redistribute wealth, to take mine just because I'm higher up and give to the poor just because maybe they're not working? And I'm not even talking about charity and handicapped. I'm just talking about people who are unwilling to work. Those are moral issues that you can always debate. You can always point to. And then there's the economic issue. The economic issue of, is this actually economically pl plausible? The idea of there's no really incentive. If I'm going to work hard to get rich and you're just going to take it all away, well, then I'm not going to work hard anymore. And now there's no incentive. There's no incentive for me to work hard to benefit or to give benefit to the economy. I'm not really contributing now to the economy because there's no incentive for me. I can't amass my own wealth. Those are economic issues. So yes, you have the, again, the economic side and you have the moral side. Feel free to debate both. I wouldn't try to merge the two in the middle of the discussion. If the conversation is going economic, stick economic and stick to that side and then then transition over to moral, but don't try to mumble jumble them together but keep it defined into those two issues. And then as you're in that conversation, ask those questions, ask them to define their terms, ask them how it proves what they're trying, what it proves, and then how it proves. And then once you're asking these questions, what you kind of are letting them do is just talking themselves into something. And as they continue to talk, it gives you more and more ammunition as then you go on the offense, stay on the offense and the way, and you say, well, just how are you staying on the offense if you're letting them talk? No, if you are talking more, then you are on the defensive. 
And the way to stay on the offensive is to ask questions, keep them talking there on the defensive. And then one of the most important things, do not let them demonize you. Well, how can you say that it's not the basic human right for universal income? How can you say that you're going to deprive someone of basic human rights of medicine, of a basic living, of a minimum wage, which isn't necessarily in this discussion, but you get what I'm saying. How are you going to deny these people this? Again, you should just stick to, well, do you believe it is a basic human right for you to be able to take my money and give to someone else? Do you believe it is the basic right of government to redistribute wealth? I would just ask those questions. Answer questions with questions. Give them more questions. Follow up questions with more questions. Those are your benefit. When in doubt, question it out. Let them continue to talk. That's how you stay on the offense. That's how you give yourself more information to and more ammunition when it's a hostile conversation or when it's a cordial conversation. Again, because all you're doing is you're just asking them questions. Again, it's a positive conversation, a helpful conversation. Ask them questions, let them continue to talk and then say, well, yeah, that that could make sense. But I mean, here's kind of the issue I had with this and go, and so on. And so, yes, we talked about this. I know I kind of just gave you more general guidelines than the specifics, because I guess as I'm giving you these guidelines, you understand the specifics that is my opinion, right? As I mentioned, there's no incentive. A good example is it has never worked in the past. Socialism, Venezuela, Cuba, Russia, China, all of these plans, these socialistic plans or communist systems, they've had to take breaks from their systems, like the five-year plan, to go on to capitalism, to revamp, regrow their economy, get it back off of its deathbed, and then go back to communism. And so another economic issue would be, when has this worked? their obvious response is going to be just because it hasn't doesn't mean it can't. And then I would say just because it hasn't doesn't mean it can. And the fact that it hasn't is a strong indicator that it can't because many different countries, many different regions, many different people groups, many different applications, and it still hasn't worked. So those are economic issues. And then the moral issues, I would always stick to, does the government have the right? How is it going to happen? Are you going to literally have the government go in and coerce people to give up their property to others? How are you going to redistribute it? Are you going to force labor on these collective means of production? Those are all good examples. Those are some of the basic core tenets that I stick to as I debate socialism versus communism. Again, I hope this was very helpful to you. I hope this was also enjoyable to you. A little bit different of an end of show segment, something a little bit more applicable, maybe, but also maybe something a little just a little bit more practical, I should say. But then also there is that still, again, that deeper discussion throughout history. It hasn't worked, those moral issues, and then again, the the more surface economic issues. So remember those and remember those little tidbits as you enjoy discussions, debates, and whatnot. Hopefully they are enjoyable to you. They most definitely are enjoyable to me. Again, I would say that probably three-fourths out of social media debates that I've ever had, it has been because they initiated the... Well, all of them have been because they initiated. I've never initiated a conversation or a debate, but when they have initiated it in an initial comment, three-fourths of the time after we have this debate, they end up deleting their comments so the entire thread's gone. Now, I'm not saying I only win, 75% 75% because I win. I, I don't know if I've ever lost, but out of all of the conversations, three fourths, they end up deleting the entire thread. So a vast majority of them just end up deleting it. Nevertheless, that is how you can debate a liberal. You can debate a socialist. You can debate and stand firm on capitalism so much so that the opposition deletes their comments and tries to run and hide. 
Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in again. Merry Christmas. I hope that was enjoyable to you. Don't forget to tune in on Tuesday where we are excited for another show, another episode, and we will be back on the YouTube channel with all of the latest. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue.